0: is Clayton House Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Sean Smith, and we have a deep dive of a conversation. I absolutely love where this... this chat goes. He's currently on tour with Waitress in Ohio, and I have a conversation over Zoom with him from New York as we both worked together previously on the Waitress tour pre-pandemic. So I hope you enjoy this part one conversation with Sean Smith. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Sean Smith.
1: Sean, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to see your beautiful face again. Uh, it's so always good to see you. I uh, I know
0: last night, uh, Broadway, I guess, officially reopened. I got a text from my friend in Florida, and they were like, congratulations, it's open. I was like, it's been open for a little bit of time. But, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It,
1: th- I think there's about five official reopenings.
0: Yes, exactly. And there's going to be more reopenings. But uh, you're currently located in what state?
1: Oh, the great I can't finish Ohio. <laughs> Ohio.
0: What part of Ohio?
1: Ohio. We're in Springfield right now. Okay. Have we been there? You know, no, Springfield, no. Illinois. I mean, we've we've been to Springfields, just not the Ohio brand.
0: So, a little context for everyone listening, Sean Smith is currently Earl Hunterson, the affable but mostly dislikable future ex-husband of Jenna Hunterson in Waitress the Musical, the national tour.
1: What a, What an apt description. <laughs>
0: It's really well done. Thanks. And have you pr- have you practiced that for
1: your past interviews?
0: I had used it a few times in, in previous <laughs> <laughs> in previous jobs.
2: <laughs>
0: but uh, uh, we met doing waitress, of course. And we're going to talk about waitress. We're going to talk about um, your group, the music, so much more, acting, all of it. But I want to take it back to the beginning of time for Sean
1: Smith. Mm, yes. What the were your? era.
0: Yeah. What was your? Uh, what were your entertainment
1: dreams growing up? Oh, God, um, that's such a, I feel like a lot more people have like, oh, when I was so young, I wanted to do X, Y, and Z, and I didn't know that I wanted to, I, like, I did it. I always was entertaining people, or at least trying to, um, but I didn't sure. have, I wasn't cognizant of it. I wasn't conscious of it.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, there's,
1: there's, there's home videos of me somewhere from being like six, seven years old, uh, dancing in the living room but like filming myself, not, not nobody watched me dancing. It was me alone or me with a friend doing a dance. Hmm. To something. Uh, it, I know when I was maybe eight or nine, when men in black came out, me and my, me and my buddy at the time, and the, I'm eight or nine years old and we're learning that men in black dance break and it. doing it on the home VHS thing.
0: Oh, I freaking, love um,
1: it. and like, I just didn't, I didn't know at the time that I was gonna grow up to be a massive clown. Um, I just was a clown and then in middle school I did the shows because my friends did the shows and then some cute girls did the shows and then in high school I was getting leads and you know, after a while I was like, Oh, I think this is how I know how to communicate with people. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I should probably stay doing this because this is how I relate to other human beings.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and, and that, you know, I, it's not the beginning of time, but it is the moment where I realized why I wanted to do, the performing arts Why I wanted to tell stories was that I, as a consumer, as an audience member, was more apt to be communicated to through storytelling. And it was the only times that I didn't feel alone or isolated or uh, you know, alienated was when I was watching another story that I related to. And mm-hmm. I thought, I want to do that for other people. Was there
0: a defining moment for you? A particular moment in a show, in a room, in a space, in the world, somewhere?
1: Uh, not really, per se. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't think there was a defining moment. It was just kind of a gradual, you know, we, we did Children of Eden when I was a sophomore in high school. And I remember seeing my choir teacher. She was directing The Pit, and she was just weeping. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is how I can emotionally communicate. That that's one that stands out for sure. A um, couple of college productions had those kind of moments as well, but there wasn't one specific, I don't think.
0: Is there a role that's taught you the most about yourself, or a significant amount about yourself?
1: Uh, um, hmm. That that's a, that's a great question. I they I guess yes and no. Uh, I did I did sorry I did. Judas someone's calling me so I'm trying to ignore it Mm. um I did I did Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar and um it's been a dream role forever and I finally got to do it and it the character didn't teach me so much about myself I knew how I wanted to play the character Mm. but the process taught me a lot about myself and how I had to like navigate through um uh let's see Uh, um I don't know I feel like as a human we're always evolving and and or at least we should always be evolving (laughs) so every time i every time i do play a role i'm sure there's there's elements of it that always kind of take on like uh we did rent when i was in college sure and i played mark um and you know you have to find ways to take the role that you're playing and relate it to the real world and relate it to your real life and i i was 19 years old i grew up in a conservative town and in, in Buffalo, New York is a fairly conservative area or at least where I grew up was I didn't know the world of rent. I loved rent, but I didn't know the world of it. I never lived the world of it, but I did find ways to relate that character to the world of, of what I knew in Buffalo, New York. And, and uh, I think I learned a lot about how to find pathways to a more empathetic approach to living through that. So that was a big one um, because you, you need to see people on their level And sometimes it's hard to do that when you have never experienced their level. So you have to find close to, you know, I don't know. (laughs) No, I, I
0: I think you're bringing up a really good point. You're absolutely right. That's the next level of communicating. Yeah. You know, when you realize not only do you have to meet someone where they're at, but if you've never been where they're at, you really got to open your mind. So right. Kudos to that. Um, Mentors, any mentors early on, that taught you a significant a col- amount.
1: Yes, yes. Um, uh, two college mentors, one of which uh, Nathan Matthews, which um, he really actually took me under his wing and taught me a lot of lessons. Great teacher, uh, kind of a hard ass teacher sometimes. Mm. So I, I was one of the few people like really I love a good hard ass teacher, but I know that that's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea. Mm. Um, but he what he taught me about musical theater is one thing then a lot of great stuff there, but he actually taught me a lot about how to be a professional and um, how to behave in a professional setting and how to not let somebody else's bad behavior uh, affect your life. Um, there was an incident once upon a time with possible being put in precarious situations. I'm not going to say too much about it, but I remember that he said he had told me a story of somebody being put in a precarious situation where they would have to uh, uh, compromise themselves in order to gain favor
2: sure
1: and and he said and i'll never forget it he he said uh you can have all the jobs in the world but if you can't look in the mirror at the end of the night and know that you earned those jobs because of your talent and because of your work ethic it's not worth it Mm -hmm. and and it's that you know today's day and age that's a very important lesson for a lot of people Um, so that was big uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson was another huge influence. Um, you may, you probably have seen him. He was in Lincoln. Uh, he was in Tower Heist, uh, in Extremely Loud, Incredibly Close, The Newsroom. He was on Broadway and in the movie version of Fences with Denzel Washington. Phenomenal actor. He was actually a professor of mine and he took me under his wing his, that, that year, um, gave me a lot of great. Work to do, taught me a lot of techniques, a lot of tricks, uh, not, not tricks, but a lot of great acting techniques that actually put you in the moment.
0: Let's talk about him for a second. You went to, where'd you yeah. study?
1: I'm University of Buffalo. Right. I so, studied, SUNY, SUNY Buffalo.
0: I studied at SUNY Fredonia. So we right. both know Western Words. New York well. I met, right down the I, road. I've met him before. He came in uh, and coached or you know, taught or associate directed some of the students in piano lesson. At my college, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff he would talk about when keeping it, you know, like real, like real, mm-hmm. real, like he doesn't mm-hmm. act, it's real. Right. And yep. I just remember this visceral moment. Um, and everyone should look this guy up because he's, he's incredible. He has this one moment he's, in Lincoln when he, like, knows that Lincoln's gonna die, right? And he has the, everything, it's right there, right in the two eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I get chills thinking about that. He's yeah.
1: Real deal. They, but I've, sometimes I, I've, I firmly believe that sometimes they give him less screen time because they know the more screen time they give him the worse. Everybody else is going to look. He's that good. Yeah. He's fantastic. He's unreal. Um, what did he, anything he,
0: specific about acting you remember
1: or phrases? Well, or so, okay. So he, he trained under Lloyd Richards, uh, who was a very prevalent acting, you know, uh, teacher method creator uh and but it's it's a lot of like i guess it stems more from the meisner side everybody breaks things down to meisner and stanislavsky and I, I my firm belief is that you should just kind of take a little bit from everything and use what works for you i don't i don't believe in one particular whatever uh but he he a lot of his his teachings were about using the set around you using the world around you Trusting your instincts and also knowing the power of of stillness, mm-hmm. um, and to not plan. He doesn't like when you plan the moment. Mm-hmm. You have to know the circumstances and you have to know your actions, but you cannot plan your responses. And and I remember he was, uh, oh god, it was the 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 play was the Sign in Sydney Brustein's Window by Lorraine Hansberry, phenomenal play. Um, and he gave me like three scenes from it, one of which was a monologue, and I remember. He put me in the room. Um, somebody else had put up a set for their scene, just like with mats and stuff. Mm. And then he was like, okay, Sean, you're going to do your monologue. So I stand up and I'm like, can I move that? And he's like, no, no, you're going to do it on this set. I was like, oh. And I said, give me a moment. And he said, no, no, no. Do the monologue now. Go. And, then, and just like made it a point of being like, you don't, in in these worlds, you don't, as a human, wouldn't have time to think yeah about how to how to control the world around you, so as an actor, why would you think that you have time to control the world around you? You have to embrace it um and so it just was a fully i mean he's there's there's a lot of things he taught me, and it's hard to pinpoint one particular one but he Living it, living in the moment. It's a life lesson. It's an acting lesson.
0: <laughs> it's you know what? Some of the best, and it's rare that I actually talk specifics about acting technique on Entertainment X. But since mm-hmm. we're here, we're gonna go a few more minutes before we move on. Um, okay. The, some of the best acting I see is obviously real in the moment of the story that's being portrayed, but they're also extremely aware of the space they're in. Aware that the audience yep. is not listening, aware that a child mm-hmm. is crying, or that the audience is right there in the palm of their hand, and I remember because I rem- he, this is this is why I love having these conversations because I didn't think I didn't realize we would talk about him, but uh, one of those moments that specifically stand out in my mind was when we were doing Waitress two years ago, and mm-hmm. the guitar right in the middle of the song was out of tune because someone had tuned it traditionally. Remember, and I was playing it in that thick yep. tuning thing. And, mm-hmm. and it was right in that moment, strumming it being like, okay, but I'm going to keep going, you know, like, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to freeze up. You just, like, you got to be water. You have to flow, mm-hmm. which is a great, you know, yes. thought for life, you know, to just
1: you know, slow. Yes. And just to, just to piggyback off of that before I move on, uh, mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who are very funny people who are very good at taking those moments and turning it into a joke. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. I don't, I think I'm funny sometimes. And I like to write comedy but I'm not quick on the like the, the wittiest possible uptake. And so it's nice to know that if you are just being honest in the moment, you don't have to come up with a funny moment. Mm-hmm. You could let it be a sad moment. You can let it be a, a frustration moment. You could let it be an angry moment. You could let it be a hopeful moment. It doesn't matter as an actor. Mm. And it used to get down, me so down when I would see things go wrong on stage and I wasn't the one who was able to like, I, I've, I've saved productions by, mm-hmm. by living in the moment but it wasn't by doing something funny. It was just mm. by living in the moment and mm. keeping the whatever the circumstances around you just become part of the world. Mm. Um, and I, I learned that from him. So huge thing. For, thankful for that, man. So
0: this career path that you're on has it just been a natural yes. progression, or you know, <laughs> into yeah, but into you know actually making a living out of it, or was there a moment where you're like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead first into having this be my main source of income?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, sure. uh, I think, okay. So I went to school for musical theater, so I kind of knew that I wanted to make this my main source for income, Sure. but I didn't go to school. I didn't intend on going to school for musical theater in the sense of like, I wanted to be in musicals. I wanted to be an actor period. Mm-hmm. And I also liked singing and I love playing music and I love that world. I love writing. Um, And so I thought I'm going to go to school and become an actor, who also sings. And then as I got older and I settled in my voice, and it can and that's a, you know people don't tell you that your voice keeps changing until you're 30 years old. So you have to settle into it. You have to learn what it is. You don't have to keep copying everybody else to try and get there. Mm. And and as I settled into my voice and came, you know, um, it just became my niche is that I was the guy that people called on to sing rock and roll music in musical theater. I had great teachers who taught me how to sell a, how, how to sell pop songs as stories, hmm. and how to sell things that are traditionally not musical songs as musical things. Hmm. Um, when they all realized, like, "Hey, you can sing rock. We better teach you
2: hmm.
1: how to sell it on stage, as opposed to how to just you know be the person who closes your eyes and screams." Um, and so <laughs> and you know, it, right? You're not gonna lose um, your voice. right? <laughs> exactly. And so I. I, I got to New York after college and I thought, you know, I, I was trained to be in Richard Shire musicals. I was trained to do Sondheim and I was trained to do Rogers and Hammerstein, but I also had this rock voice. And so I started getting hired for these, ben, this Pask and Paul projects and these, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, your are Alan Menken and your Steven Schwartz. And then even further than that, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. And, and um, it started really clicking. I was like, I I think I know what my niche is. Mm. I'm going to do pop rock. I'm going to do rock and roll. I'm going to be the energetic one. Um, And then I got very fortunate, very lucky. Uh, I went to an audition for a cruise ship for for the record, the Brat Pack. Uh, And if anybody doesn't know, it's um, an L.A. based company that does these. They're like rock concerts set to movies. Mm. And so this particular one is all the 80s teen movies. Uh, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles, Ferris Bueller, and they take scenes from the movies with songs from those movie soundtracks, and they give you the character, the character archetypes, and it's almost it's a it's almost a whole new story, but it's also just an homage, but it's also a rock concert. It's a cool little thing. It's a lot of fun, and I love that show, and I would do it every day if I wasn't already well too old to be doing it. Um, <laughs> and and it's all 80s music, right? And I went to the first audition because. Somebody was like, hey, they need a guitarist. And I wasn't supposed to go to that audition on that day. I was actually out for Million Dollar Quartet. Um, and somebody across the hall, a friend of mine, was kind of holding room for it. And they're like, they're looking for a guitarist. So I quickly got online. I'm like, are there any slots left? And somebody had just dropped their slot day of. I picked it up, got, to get, got seen that day, and then had like every day that week, got to get called back again and again and again. And that was the day, that was the first job where someone was like, you're going to swing the show, you're going to sing all these songs, you're going to be in the show. And and it was a great opportunity. Uh, I made a lot of really good friends on that contract. Um, Came back to New York in between, made a lot of other friends doing little shows and stuff because I was consistently putting my own music up online, putting me covering songs up online so that people could see this is what this guy does. Um, Because unfortunately, in today's day and age with social media, I feel like, you kind of have to have every kind of audition real possible. Right. Um, and then, and then I did the ship again, same show, got, got some, you know, upgrades, got some promotions. After that, I was asked to audition for another show in San Diego called mixtape, another tribute to the eighties mm. with dialogue and stuff where you had to like learn how to sell what wasn't a story as a story. Um, and then from there, because I was doing that, I, I, made a lot of other friends, but also that's when Waitress came around. Um, and I, I had a, a nice resume, but I also had the means and the time to film quality auditions, hmm. which was a thing you can't, you can't do if you're just like hustling in New York, <laughs> if you're just hustling and working the bar shift until 4am every day. Right. Right. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I it's just been, I, I, I've been very fortunate to, not burn bridges in the career and to let the, the steps happen as they happen. But I have not planned this out in any way, shape or form <laughs> this there's no plan. I'm getting, I'm either getting lucky or I'm seeing an opportunity and without thinking running headfirst into it like a bull.
0: <laughs> How does, when does the, uh, has the guitar playing always been a thing for you? Singer songwriter? Has that been?
1: No, I was a pianist actually growing up. Hmm. Um, and then, I'd always kind of wanted to play guitar, but I thought I have smaller hands and I didn't think it was going to be possible. Um, and the final semester of college, I believe, I was heading down to New York for an audition and my dad and I kind of had this tradition. It wasn't really a tradition, but we did it a couple of times where um, if I had an audition in New York, I, obviously when I was a kid, I needed a chaperone. And by kid, I mean like 18. Sure. And by chaperone, I mean, I mean he paid for the hotel room while I did everything on my own anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Um, but but he, but he liked to go walk around New York, you know. And it, mm-hmm. we're from Buffalo, so it was like a seven-hour, eight-hour drive. Um, and I said, you know, I'm going to be moving here soon, so this is going to be the last trip I take from Buffalo to New York. Do you want to come with me? Just to kind of make it a moment. And we went. We saw a couple shows, but the, one of the sh- most important ones was that we saw once, mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorite shows of all time. So we see the show. And then a couple weeks later, I think he bought like a $100 crappy acoustic guitar Yamaha thing where like it comes in a whole kit. You know what I'm talking about? Sure,
2: sure. Yeah. You, you,
1: you could you'd probably get it at Walmart. <laughs> and he brought it home and he's like, you're going to need to learn this if you're going to be in that show. And I was like, damn it. You're right. And I was doing a theme park summer through RWS at the time. So there's a lot of downtime in between those 15 minute long song cycle pop music reviews. hmm. So I would do my, do my little shows and then go backstage and sit there and learn my four chord songs all day. Mm. And, um, and then that's just kind of, it just kept evolving. And then I started using guitar for auditions and I would get accidentally hired and <laughs> things were like, Hey, you play guitar, right? And I was like, well, I mean, I kind of, and, and I am by no means a professional guitarist. Um, I, I have very close friends and part and. uh, uh, collaborators who are, <laughs> I can, I can play my chords. I can play my rhythms, and I can play more than four chords, which is a big step above a lot of people who, who tout who tout guitar playing on their resumes.
0: Yeah, it's on mine. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm messing with you. <laughs> I'm messing with you. What did your uh, What did your dad teach you about work ethic?
1: Oh God. Do, do do it. I mean, he's, just he told me, mm-hmm. you just got to, I mean, my dad is very much a, you're going to have to do things you don't want to do in life kind of guy. He's a roll up your sleeves and do the thing. Um, he was a firefighter for 33 years for the city of Buffalo. At one point, him and my mother ran like a shop where they made uniforms for other uh, city workers. Mm. He referees football and lacrosse. He like, he's a blue collar, like man's man. Um, he loves doing the landscaping. He loves taking the dogs for walks. If he's not working, he goes nuts. Mm -hmm. He needs to have something to do and he needs to be active. And I think that rubbed off on me a lot. Um, he's very much a, a just like, it's also the big thing he taught me is like, if you want it done right, do it yourself kind of mentality. But because of that, I think we, we don't even, we don't like asking people for help. We just do the thing.
2: Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Whatever needs to get done, I'm going to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're just going to roll your sleeves up and do it yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: How did uh, Stray and the Soundtrack come about?
1: Uh, back to the ship. Um, I had that first ship contract. I was working a lot, playing my guitar, playing in the beer bar, writing songs. Um, and then when they asked me to come back, and I was very excited to, uh, that final cast of that show on that ship was uh, there was a group of guys that we all became really close um we called ourselves the waluigi's based off the the mario character yeah um and there's a whole long-winded nerdy story about that but one of them his name is michael hurley he is my music writing partner he's one of my best friends on the planet wonderful human being he um he and i would sit down and we i think we were doing like a concert for the for the crew not even for the guests for the crew Mm. we uh decided as a group the entertainment department was going to put on a concert and so we were going to play Purple Rain by Prince and we didn't p- rehearse too much. We just were like, I know it, you know it. Let's just come up with a quick version of it. Great. And it like, like that worked perfectly. We didn't even have to think about it. It just like the, the styling meshed very well. Hmm. And he knew I wrote and I showed him some of my demos. He's like, well, you know, we have the equipment on board because he, he um, worked for Pro Tools for years hmm. as their tech support. He also went to school at Full Sail for music production. And his dad was a music teacher. So he knew how to play like 20 instruments. Sure, sure. And I owned condenser mic and, and uh, interface and, and logic and all this. And he had Pro Tools. i like, we just, we had all the equipment ready. We had all the resources. And we're like, why don't we just record some of this? Sure. Um, and what was supposed to be a quick little EP done on the ship became a full album of original music that I wrote. On the ship in a five by five by eight Jack and Jill room,
0: mm.
1: um, which I'm sure you remember those days. Of, I'm familiar. Uh, sit, you got your tiny little short short twin bed, and you got your little sink and a little desk, and you share a a with your next door neighbor.
0: Yeah, it's, it's
1: <laughs> intimate. It's oh, that's a good that's a good term for it. Yeah. Um, but so we did that whole thing on the ship, and we did a concert of it in New York when we got off, and. It just was, it was like our kind of saving grace. We had so much fun doing it, but also we felt really proud of the work we did. And we knew that nobody was going to listen to it. The whole time, we we're like, nobody's going to listen to this. You're so like, we don't, this is for me. But it's, but <laughs> it, it, well, that one, I, I do describe that one as like a massive therapy project because these were songs I was writing about. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm not ashamed of this. I'll just jump right in. I was, I was writing about my, my found sobriety and, and my d- dealings with depression and anxiety, most of it. And then there's obviously like you know songs about past relationships and stuff in there, so it was a massive therapy project, mm. and uh, but it's kind of freeing to write and make things with the mindset like nobody's gonna listen anyway, so it doesn't matter, like it doesn't matter how good you make it if you don't have the resources to put it in front of an audience anyway, and we don't ha- we don't know how to get on a Spotify curated playlist or how to you know pay for the radio stations to we don't have any money so right. uh it was freeing and it, it kind of like gave us this ignited like oh we make this because this is if we were the consumer stuff we'd want to hear
2: hmm.
1: um and then a year went by uh i did my gig in san diego i came on to waitress with you you know i would be off in whatever corner of the world recording my songs in a hotel room